0: Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the Restoration Project's weekly podcast. TRP is a church affiliated with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship located in Salisbury, Maryland. Our current sermon series is a study on Paul's letter to the Galatians. Even though Paul was addressing theological controversies embedded within a first century Jewish context, we believe that there are some very important modern day applications. Perhaps the most notable is the sufficiency of faith in Jesus for salvation and the unity we find in him. Paul writes, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode. How you guys doing? Let's just take a moment
1: here um, and... Celebrate a big victory by the Philadelphia Eagles this afternoon. Let's just take a moment to do that. Celebrate that Me and Molly and dad. Thank you It's a good it's a good effort on the gridiron today in my line of work I get to watch like the first half of the first quarter of football and that usually fizzles out to no quarters of football as The season progresses. So let me just have this one moment. Okay. Um, If you are new with us, we have been going through the book of Galatians over the last two weeks, and we are now in the third week of our sermon series on this very ancient book. Uh, One scholar, Richard Hayes, describes this as Paul's angry and passionate letter that he is writing to the churches of Galatia that he himself has actually started in his missionary work. Over the past couple of weeks, we have kind of delved into the historical context to see what it is that this book might have for us. And if you are brand new with us, I would like to let you know that we have a podcast. You can go back and listen to the first two sermons on this series. You can find that on our website, RestoreSBY.org, or on SoundCloud, or just check out our Facebook page, and we'll give you some uh, links to follow. But the things that you need to know in order to follow along with, with us this evening are pretty simple, and I've been known to stretch out an introduction that should be 30 seconds into 30 minutes. So let me see if I can do my best to try to whittle it down to what it is that we need to know that's going on here. Paul has been called to be a missionary to the Gentiles. He has been called to be a missionary to non-Jewish people to go tell them the glorious good news of Jesus, of his death and his resurrection, and of the life that we have in and through him. Paul has become an ambassador of this message, not only of where we go when we die, but of new creation happening here and now, Paul's gospel centers around the idea that Jesus has fundamentally changed everything in the world. Now, Paul is a good Jewish person. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, it says, and as to following the law, he was a zealot. Paul knew what it took to live within the constraints of Judaism at this time in the first century. And Paul's message now to people is this, All you have to do is believe in Jesus and trust that his death and his resurrection and in that will be the forgiveness of sins and the life that we get to experience here and now. And in so doing, Paul's message was just Jesus. Now, he had gone to churches, and he had started churches, and a couple of those churches were here in Galatia, but as Paul had left, he had preached this message of freedom and hope and good news that is found in and through Jesus to these people. He had raised up leaders and and let them begin this little mini church plant, but as Paul left to go do other things, there was a group of Jewish Christian missionaries. Now, do not miss the second part of this title. These were Jewish Christian missionaries. This whole debate within the book of Galatians is not someone external from Paul's system of thought. This is Christians fighting with Christians themselves. But these Jewish Christian followers of Jesus and the law came over to the churches of Galatia and said, Hey, Paul's message, which was just Jesus, his death and his resurrection and forgiveness and life and hope and new creation, that's great. But... If you really want to be on board, if you really want to be in, if you really want to be one of us, you can't just place your faith in Jesus. You can't just trust the spirit to be at work and you. you can't just become transformed. You also have to be circumcised. You have to follow the right laws You have to eat the right food with the right people. You have to observe these laws of the Sabbath. You have to set yourself apart as one of these Jewish Christian people and adopt all of the cultures and customs of this ancient religion and then tack a little bit of Jesus onto it. Their their message to the churches of Galatia was one that was sowing seeds of discord. And they were saying, Paul was out to lunch. He didn't know what he was talking about. If you want to be in, you have to trust Jesus, but you also have to do a number of these other things. And when Paul hears about this, woo! Paul is steamed because this is not something that you want to test him on because Paul, remember, had been on the road to Damascus in this zealous fit of he was going to find the Christians and to bind them up and to bring them back to Jerusalem to try them and potentially to beat them and what have you. But on the road to Damascus, people, he met Jesus. And in a blinding light, Jesus says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And this fundamentally changes everything about Paul and sets him on this missionary journey to find uh, these people and tell them the good news. And when these Jewish Christian missionaries sneak in in the cloak of darkness, as Paul had left somewhere else, he gets ticked. The book begins, Paul, an apostle, Do not forget Galatian churches who I am. I am an apostle and I am sent not from men or by a man. I am sent from Jesus Christ himself to give you the good news. How dare you? He kind of goes into that. I mean, he's, Paul's writing with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder here, but he immediately goes into how could you leave this good news, this gospel of freedom and life? And trade it in for something cheap and gross and stupid. How could you go back to circumcising yourselves and following the law? That's not what this is about. This is about grace and peace and hope and life in Jesus. And Paul is writing to these Galatian churches through the lens of the Jewish Christian missionaries that have challenged his His authority, and he's basically saying, This message that I got, this gospel that I got, it did not come from human people. It did not come from me going to the church in Jerusalem. It did not go uh, with me listening to Peter or James or John or any of these people. It came straight from God Himself. And here I am. And throughout chapter one, Paul has been laying out this case, arguing that his gospel is not rooted in the wisdom or tradition of people, but his gospel is rooted in the revelation, this is a huge word for Paul, in the revelation of Jesus. And now we find ourselves in chapter two of this book and we just need to stop here for a moment and, and be excited that we are making pretty good headway in this book, guys. Week three and we're already in chapter two. For the people that suffered through 56 weeks of the book of Mark, you know that this is like unprecedented territory. We're doing okay. All right. so. Ten more verses tonight. This is Galatians chapter 2 then after 14 years. But before we get there, Paul had talked about when he finds this message of hope and peace in Jesus, he doesn't go to Jerusalem. Remember, he goes to Arabia and he stays there for three years. And then at one point, he does go to talk to Peter in Jerusalem, but he only stays there for 15 days or so, I believe. Now he's saying 14 years later, scholars are really undecided as to if this is 14 years after that Damascus Road moment when Jesus appears to, to Paul or if this is 14 years after the three years. Either way, this is a long time where Paul has been doing some missionary work, okay? Galatians chapter 2. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running or had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James... Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. The word of God for the people of God. This is a really thick and juicy set of text here in the New Testament. We have a lot of things to unpack, and tonight we're not going to unpack all of them. I was thinking about editing this, but I won't edit. One really cool thing to do is to uh, to look at the chronologies between Acts and Galatians. The picture of what Paul is doing in the book of Acts and Luke's retelling of his missionary work. And Paul, the way that he lays out his own autobiographical account of where he's going and when he's going. As I mentioned, a lot of people have, have really no idea what's going on with that, that term of 14 years and when certain things took place. I think I've said enough there to... Wet your appetites, and then we'll just move on. What's happening in this passage, though, is Paul is, is walking a tightrope in Galatians 2. Okay, as we've talked about, Paul's gospel, it was revealed to him by God himself. He received it from God. He didn't receive it from people. He didn't receive it from traditions. He didn't receive it from Peter or James or John. God just showed up and, and revealed this message of the gospel, the good news of life through Jesus to him. And as a result, Paul had received this gospel independently of the Jerusalem church and its leaders. Remember, these Jewish Christian missionaries had kind of snuck over to the churches of Galatia and said, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. He's got no authority to be saying these things. He's out of of bounds with regard to the teaching of the Jerusalem church. And all that Paul is wanting to demonstrate is I have the authority. I am a sent apostle. This gospel has been given to me by God himself. And we don't need these other people to verify what I'm doing. It's just about God. revealing it to me. But it really does look cool, right? That there was an earlier acceptance of his gospel by these so-called pillars in the text. Peter, who is also called Cephas and James and John, when they hear the work that Paul is doing, they give him the right hand a fellowship, And I just encourage you guys this week at some point in your relationships with people to offer the right hand of fellowship to someone. I don't know in what context you will be, but just you got to use those terms to just say, brother or sister, I offer you the right hand of fellowship <laughs> and see how that goes down. I can assure you probably not very good, but Paul is walking this tightrope of, I don't need to be affirmed because God has already given me this good news. But he does go into the fact that after 14 years or after 17 years or after however many years, he meets with these people privately and they say, you're doing good work. And that helps him in the conversations that he's having through this letter to the churches of Galatia who are wondering what's going on with Paul because he gave us this gospel and then these Jewish Christian missionaries show up and said that he's crazy and now I don't know what to do. And what Paul is doing is telling them of a circumstance where his gospel had to be verified to some degree by other people or he was having these conversations with other people. And Paul is walking this tightrope in Galatians chapter two. The text says, then after 14 years, and we've already talked about that a little bit, I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. Now, just a little bit in terms of history. Paul and Barnabas seem to be representatives of something called the Antioch Church. You can see it in purple, I believe, in the north there. The Antioch Church, which is different from the Jerusalem Church, which was like the central hub of the teachings of Jesus, going to Peter and James and John and like these people here, but Paul and Barnabas were the representatives of this church that was at some distance and they were going to Jerusalem to hear from another church. This story here that they're telling is about the unity between Christians. But after 14 years, Paul and Barnabas, they go down there, and then it says, Paul um, is, is mentioning, I took Titus along also. And when I read this, I got so excited because it would give me a foray to talk about one of the best shows that has ever been created, How I Met Your Mother. Now, I should put a caveat next to this. It was the best show, one of the best shows until all time, un- un- until they did that travesty in the, in the finale. Can I get an amen? Amen. What in the world? I should write an angry letter, an angry and passionate letter to the creators of this show because the ending is completely ridiculous. And if you haven't seen the show, I commend you, perhaps, to go to Netflix and to watch some episodes and then see if you want to watch more. And by the end, you'll know that it's terrible. But one of the things within this show, it all centers around the, the love and the failed life experiences of one Ted Mosby, okay? And Ted is trying to find someone to date who will eventually become the mother of his children, which is the whole setup for this show. But his friend Barney usually tries to get Ted dates by being at the bar that they frequent every night and starting conversations with women, as Barney is known to do, and then to say, have you met Ted? And pawn the woman that he's talking to off on Ted. Now, I apologize. I'm seeing in the room right now, there's some people that know what I'm talking about, and there's some other people that are like, I've got no freaking clue, man. (laughs) Mom, after some sermons, will say, that was great, little bud, but I don't know what you're talking about whenever you talk about cultural references. (laughs) Thank you, Mom. Here's the point. In the show, Barney wants to get Ted a date, so he says to the girl, have you met Ted? Huh? This to me is Paul saying to the the leaders of the Jerusalem church that are within this conversation of what does it take for a non-Jewish person to be saved. This is Paul's big moment of saying, have you met Titus? Because he is very much Greek. Read, he is very much not circumcised. But you know Titus. And you know the fruit of the gospel that is emanating from his very being. And you know that he lives a transformed life. And you know that this guy is sold out to the gospel. You know this. And you're going to tell me, you're going to tell us that he needs to be circumcised to be legit, to be in the family. That's what you're going to say. Have you met Titus? This is Paul talking to the people in Jerusalem to try to get them to understand what is going on in their neck of the woods as Paul is giving this gospel to non-Jewish people. One commentator says, the decision to take Titus, which is a decision for which Paul implicitly claims responsibility in this text, and he does so apart from Barnabas, it was a deliberatively provocative move. He shows up to this discussion with a loaded gun and it's Titus. Hey guys, I know we're getting ready to have a really difficult theological conversation, but first, you remember Titus? Have you heard the stories about Titus? You know what he's been doing for Jesus? You know how he's been living a transformed life? All right, let's set that in the backdrop as we now have this really thick theological discussion that we're going to have. Another commentator, Scott McKnight says, "'It is possible that Paul brought Titus, "'likely one of his early converts and a continual friend, "'as a test case, in which case Titus would have had "'an unmistakable and unimpeachable Christian character, "'while at the same time being a Gentile.'" That's the reason why Paul is bringing this guy who doesn't fit the mold of what some people in the Jerusalem church think it means to follow Jesus. Have you met Titus? I think that this is a beautiful argument that Paul is weaving here because it's not just a revelation that Paul is himself receiving. It's a revelation that is able to be seen and experienced by others through the lives of these people who have been transformed by the gospel. Have you met Titus? He's a Gentile. He's a sinner. But here he is, following Jesus. We'll see in Galatians 2.15 how these terms, Gentile and sinner, they're almost synonymous in the minds of a a Jewish person at this time. This is why they don't want to, I'm kind of jumping the gun here, this is why they don't want to sit down and have meals with Gentile Christians. This is why they don't want to sit down and be with these people because they don't fit the mold. There's something other than. But what Paul is doing is trying to rip those divisions down by saying, look at who this person is. And then tell me that Jesus is not working in his life. Have you met Titus? This whole conversation is about circumcision. And again, these Jewish Christian missionaries, in their context, they've heard the gospel or the the Version of the gospel from these Jewish Christian missionaries that say in order to be in, you can't just accept Jesus. You have to accept Jesus and then do X, Y, and Z. And this is the same conversation that Paul is having with the leaders of the Jerusalem church and the people who are sneaking into this place to try to undo what God is doing in the regions around. And Paul is saying, guys, we've seen things. We've experienced things. We have confirmation of this gospel from God himself, and we see it in the lives of these people. And the, the Jerusalem leaders, those pillars of the early church, they reach this conclusion. Paul recounts this for his uh, Galatian church plants. It says, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. Even though, according to the Jewish Christian missionaries, he should be circumcised. Even though, according to some of these people who are sneaking in, he should have gone through these rites and rituals in order to become a real Jewish Christian. One scholar says, we should not underestimate how astonishing a decision was here made. That Jews, that leaders of a movement focused on Messiah Jesus, should agree in considered and formal terms that circumcision need no longer be required of Gentiles wishing to be counted full members of what was still a sect of Second Temple Judaism. This is a lot of wordy jargon. But what we can't overlook is the fact that these people say, Titus, you're in, you're part of the family. Paul, keep going and preaching this gospel to people who might not look like us or act like us or think like us or have the same, same customs that we do, but go and, and be this agent of change in the world. We got your back. You have the right hand of fellowship from us. And they say this, this is the kicker, against the plainest possible teaching of scripture. Up until this point, what it meant to be a Jewish follower of Yahweh was You get circumcised. You follow the law. You eat the right foods. You separate yourself from the people around you in certain uh, social and cultural ways to make sure people know that you are following God. One of the most predominant is circumcision. Can we just get a a head nod here that this is the most that you have ever heard the word circumcision used in in a public Christian service? great. Okay, we're doing a lot of good work here. But this is um, despite the plainest possible teaching of Scripture. And I just have one text that we can look at this evening that, that frames this, this whole uh, conversation, especially as we're just looking at the book of Galatians. It's important for us to ground ourselves earlier in Scripture to what is going on in the Jewish world that God is expecting of people here. This is so cool. This is in Genesis 17, but I just got to tell you for a moment about Genesis 15, because this is awesome. This is where God creates this covenant with Abram. And at this time, how you created a covenant is you take these animals and then you slice them in half, more or less. And then you put one half of the animal on one side of the aisle and the other half of the animal on the other side of the aisle. And two kings would walk down the aisle as if to say, we are making this covenant. And if I break the covenant, then what has happened to this animal? will happen to me so be it but what happens in Genesis 15 and again if you need a reminder this is like ancient times and this is how ancient people made these made these deals but what happens here is God is making this covenant with Abraham in this case he is um, committing to give him offspring and as we'll, we'll see how this plays out but what happens here instead of Abram and God walking down the aisle Abram is put to sleep, and it says that a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Can we just pause there for a moment and say, man, that's weird. <laughs> like, there's this covenant here, and the way that God manifests himself is in a smoking— I just, I just, like, tap into my Harry Potter, so it's like a cauldron and, like, a, a, a torch that's kind of floating, and it's just going down this, this row of— deceased animals by itself, but that is so theologically weighty because what's happening? Abram's not committing to anything. And God is saying, if I break this covenant, Abram, where I'm going to give you land and give you people and to make nations come from you and kings come from you and land, I'm going to give you all these things. And if I break my end of the bargain, Abram, I'll die. May it be done to me as it is done to these animals, so says the smoking firepot and the torch as it mysteriously floats down this aisle of dead animals. <laughs> and again, if you think the Bible's boring, I say you should read it more closely. But in Genesis chapter 17, this is where we get the bit. Um, of, of circumcision. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God almighty walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be called the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. I still think that there's a moment our firstborn is named Abram. And I'm hopeful that at some point we can have like a renaming ceremony where something great happens. We're like, no longer will you be called Abram, you will be Abraham. Or as Abram now says, abram <laughs> For I have made you a father of many nations, he says. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you, the whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give to you as an everlasting possession and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God says to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not of your household. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Catch that. It's an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. This is the deal. In the early chapters of the Bible, God says, I'm in covenant with you. I am promising myself to you to be your God and for you to be my people. And I will give you all of these things. Here's what you have to do. You have to show that you are in with a sign on your body for the the men in the community. And this is to be an everlasting covenant until it's not. Until the death and resurrection of Jesus and until Paul meets him on the road to Damascus and Paul gets this new gospel where people now they don't need to be that or to do that or to have that sign and seal of the covenant on their body. All they need to do is to accept Jesus, to believe in him, to align themselves with him and to follow him with their very lives. That's the gospel. And you can see how these Jewish Christian missionaries and also the people who are sneaking into this this discussion are struggling so vehemently with, with the newness of what God is up to here. And it makes sense then, as James Dunn says, the position was simple for most Jews. Only the circumcised were Jews. Only the circumcised were members of the covenant. Only the circumcised belonged to the people chosen by God to be his own. And the message that Paul is giving is so radically different that there was people among their numbers that were struggling with the newness of what God was doing because it was unlike anything they had ever known or experienced circumcision for them was the identity marker the, the way that you could tell who's in and who's out in a very physical way you might be able to skirt around like yeah i follow the law yeah i eat the right food yeah but you can't skirt around yeah i'm circumcised like there's just there's not many you know no okay N.T. Wright says, it was all a question of identity, of knowing not only who you were yourself, but who else belonged in your group, your tribe, your ethnic family. And the gospel of these false brothers that Paul is dealing with in Jerusalem at this time and the gospel of the false teachers that are that are sneaking into the churches at Galatia, they're telling a different story. It's not just Jesus. It's Jesus plus Circumcision and law-keeping and Sabbath and so on and so forth. For the false brothers, circumcision was required. Jesus had not, in that sense, fundamentally changed everything. That's a lot of Greek on the screen, isn't it? I only put this up here to help remind myself that this set of text here in Galatians is very, very difficult. Some scholars call it an anacoluthon. I just wanted you to learn a new word for the night, Joe. I think that that's that's good. You can stick that in your uh, back pocket and use it when you're on the street with with some folks. Um, Anakoython, this is basically just Paul saying he's so mad He's so fired up that he's having a hard time putting pen to paper here, and what he's saying doesn't make sense because the false brothers are sneaking in and they're trying to undo the gospel of grace and hope that he has has labored to give to these people, and he can't understand how people are trying to take what is good away and add more stuff to the gospel and just firing him up so much that he can't write anything because he just wants people to know what he knows and to experience grace. Why can't you just experience grace? This is what Paul is doing here. He's trying to get them to see this, but what they are doing is is informing these identity markers, trying to figure out who's in and who's out. It's about control for these people. They want to define who's in, and they want to be able to put certain markers on those things to make sure that they know that you're in, to make sure you know that they're in, and to make sure that you know that those people are out. It's about these identity markers. And this is the gospel that Paul is at pains to get out of the church. Have you met Titus? You can't. These identity markers, like these, the circumcision, the law. Like, have you met Titus? Have you seen what he's doing? Have you seen how he's living? Have you seen how Jesus has transformed who he is to the very core of his being? Have you met him? James and Cephas and John, it says those esteemed as pillars, they gave Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace that was given to Paul. And they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. This is a beautiful moment in the history of the church, where the Jerusalem church down in the south and the Antioch church up in the north, they agree. And they say, Paul, yeah, go tell that story. Go tell that gospel. Invite people into the saving grace of Jesus Christ because we are all unified because we are all family. This was not you guys, you guys go do that. You guys go talk to the Gentiles and we'll talk to the, to the Jewish people because we're so upset. No, this was let's spread out the labor a bit. You go talk to these people. Your ministry has been fruitful. We've seen what what you've been doing. Yeah, we know Titus, and we see those stories, and we hear those testimonies of what's going on up there. Keep doing that, and we'll keep being down here, changing people's lives for the gospel of the risen Jesus. This is what they are doing together. Now, here, there's one more note before we get into what this has to do with us, because right now, we're just really unpacking some first-century Jewish culture and talking a lot about things that might make the men a bit queasy, okay? Okay. Side note, uh, please don't Google um, circumcision instruments. Paul says early on in this chapter, I wanted to be sure when I went to talk to these people, I wanted to be sure that I was not running and I had not been running my race in vain. And it almost seems as though he is trying to go get his gospel signed off by these folks in the Jerusalem church. But I think it's best if we understand uh, this this phrase a bit different. One scholar says, The danger of which Paul is speaking cannot have been that, that of having to conclude that God had not called him to his work. The danger lay in the possibility that the Jerusalem leaders would fail to perceive something that was to Paul an absolute certainty. God's powerful work in his own preaching to Gentiles. Paul was, was so worked up that people would not understand what God was doing. He didn't want to go and to get them to sign off or to get them to say, you're in, Paul. Everything's great. Nice job. They wanted them to see it, to experience it, to believe it, to live in light of it and to be excited by it. That God's powerful work in his preaching to the Gentiles, it was doing something. and He wanted everyone to to be able to perceive that. Now, here is where I believe this has something to do with us. Up until this point, Paul has been arguing in the book of Galatians that his gospel has been from God himself. He's received it as a revelation. It's independent of the Jerusalem church. It's independent of human people and traditions. It's something that God has given to him. And now we see that the Jerusalem church is rallying around here. They're um, celebrating what Paul is doing. They're celebrating the lives of, of people that have been changed by the gospel. They're seeing Titus. And even though that's an implication in the text, it seems as though they are beginning to acknowledge that Jesus is at work in new and fresh ways, in ways that don't fit their former cultural context, their former religious context. God is up to something completely and entirely new. But what about us? What are our Christian identity markers? that we add to the gospel in the same way as the Jewish Christian missionaries or as the people that are sneaking into the Jerusalem church to spy on the freedom that Paul has and trying to sentence him back to slavery. What are the identity markers that we have that we add to our gospel that don't demonstrate freedom and hope, but go beyond Jesus and his death and his resurrection into something that binds us as slaves. Richard Hayes says, whenever we allow the identity of our community to be fundamentally defined by any sort of national or cultural or even religious marker other than the gospel, we are repeating the error of the false brothers. Anytime we minimize Jesus, For a cultural practice, or for a national practice, or for something that is not meant to carry the day, we are propagating and repeating the error of the false brothers. He gets even more clear. He says, wherever we find that people have begun to think of themselves as Americans first and Christians second, or to meld these identities uncritically together, we are in the presence of a false gospel. Wherever we see people beginning to identify as American first and Christian second, we are in the presence of a false gospel. It doesn't mean that we don't love our country. It doesn't mean that we aren't thankful for being here. But when we limit the work of God to this place, when we don't see what God is up to in other parts of the world or want to celebrate that or go be a part of it. When we limit God as the God of the entire cosmos, we are in danger of preaching a false gospel. N.T. Wright says, the gospel is the announcement that the crucified and risen Jesus is Lord of the world. And if he is Lord of the whole world, then those who believe in him, who give allegiance to him, must form a single family. And within this single family, there cannot be divisions based on nationhood or race. Yet the place that we find ourselves in as American Christians is very much a divided place. It is very much a hierarchical place where we get it and other people don't. It is very much a place of identity markers and who's in and who's out, and we become the judges. It is very much a place that does not celebrate the one family of God because we're too busy talking about doctrinal issues that are beyond, so far beyond Jesus that they aren't oh, They aren't the thing that divides us. We're too busy looking at the minutia in other people's eyes and not recognizing our own. We're too busy perhaps celebrating America first and not understanding what Jesus is up to that we don't understand that we are one family together, united by Jesus underneath of his death and his resurrection and the life that we have that's only through him. Galatians is trying to tell us that this gospel is good news because it's not just for you and it's not just for me. It's for anyone in the entire world that needs freedom from their sins, that needs life and hope, that needs what Jesus has to offer. And when we withhold that message out of a sense of privilege or out of a sense of priority, then we folks are in danger of espousing a false gospel. What Galatians is teaching is that the lordship of Jesus changes everything. And our primary identity is as a son or a daughter of the most high God. As one who has pledged allegiance and is following Jesus. And as one who has the unique privilege of inviting other people in to that story my hope is that as we begin to wrestle with paul and the false brothers or paul and the jewish christian missionaries that we begin to see what paul is actually talking about it's a gospel of just jesus justification being called right in the eyes of God through the faith that we have in him and through the lives that mirror that faith that we profess my hope tonight is that when we think of the gospel we think of that one family united by Jesus and we live not as agents of division but we live as agents of unity and inviting people in to that story
0: Thanks again for listening. We invite you to join us in Salisbury for one of our weekly services on Sunday evenings at 5.30 p.m. Whatever your story, there's room for you here. Again, if you'd like more information, please visit our website at RestoreSBY.org. See you next week.